Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. And for the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to stay tuned. It'll be a short time of motivation, some inspiration, and education. And we always do this without any type of manipulation. That's right, we don't ask for money. We're not selling anything. We're not hustling anything. We're not trying to get you to join up, fess up, give up. Our entire objective is to get you to listen up. Listen up as I try to diligently explain to you how the plan of God works. If I can give you some accurate information and verify how God's plan works, then you can orient and adjust to the plan if you'd like to do so. We always keep in mind that you are free. You're a free American. A lot of wonderful men and women sacrifice their life and their time so that you can be free. But most importantly, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the anointed Son of God, sacrificed his life so that we might be free from the penalty and the payment of sin. And so by listening today, if you listen to the flight line, I want to talk to you about something that's kind of interesting. Recently, I had a conversation with my grandson, and the conversation was concerning hell and what he thought about hell. He wanted to know if the sun was where hell was. And uh, as I've traveled in my many years of traveling and speaking to students and churches and various venues across the United States, this is always a question that interests people. Is there really a hell? Sometimes, even today, there are some new doctrines that float around, especially the doctrine of universalism, that seems to say that there is not really, there's not really a hell, they say. And they say that everyone's going to be saved eventually and that hell is not even in the Bible. I've seen places and people that actually say that. So we want to talk about what does the Bible really say about hell? And the Bible uses several terms to identify this, and I want to go over these with you. Uh, some of the information that I'd like to quote to you today comes from Dr. Elmer Towns. Dr. Towns was the co-founder of Liberty University along with Jerry Falwell. And uh, I was looking on the Internet at a place called Bible Sprout and found some of the things that he had said, some things that I was already very much aware of, but things that I think you need to know. Let me preface that by saying this. Either you're going to be born twice or you will die twice. I'm going to say it again. Listen carefully. Either you're going to be born twice or you'll die twice. The Bible talks about two births and the Bible talks about two deaths. The first birth is when you're born physically and you didn't have anything to do with that. You just showed up one day and your dad said, it's a boy, have a cigar. And he was very happy. Or it's a girl, have a cigar. The second death, I mean, the second birth is all about your decision. The second birth is when you're born again spiritually. And if you read John chapter 3, you'll see where Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and asked him questions about his true identity. And Jesus said, you need to be born again. And he didn't quite understand that. He said, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And our Lord explained that it was a spiritual birth. The reason we have to be born a second time 
is that when we come into this world, we are identified with Adam's original sin. And the Bible says, for by one man sin came into the world, and death by sin, and our death is passed on all, for all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. So when we were imputed Adam's original sin at birth, we died spiritually. Yes, we were born physically, but we were born spiritually dead. And in order to have a relationship with God, you must be born spiritually. And thus, when you believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior, you are, in effect, born again, spiritually. You have the same body, the same soul, but spiritually, you're made alive. Prior to that, spiritually, you were dead. And so being saved or accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior means that you have a second birth. Now, the first death, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We all must die. There's no way around it. And uh, you may be feeling yourself getting older already. I spoke with a man today who knew that he was going to die, and he's making preparation for that death. You and I know we will die. We don't want to think about it. We don't like to think about it. But it's inevitable because our grandparents died. Our parents died. Everyone has to die. And there's a reason for that. The reason is that this body that you and I now occupy cannot inherit heaven. Flesh and blood cannot get there. We can't operate in heaven in this body. This body has an old sin nature, a genetically formed old sin nature. And in order to use in heaven, we've got to get rid of this body. There can be no sin in heaven, and this body won't function in heaven. So there's a new body. There's a resurrection body. We'll talk more about that. But the first death is when you die physically. The second death is found in Revelation chapter 20, and this is when any person who never believed in Jesus Christ as his Savior is cast into the lake of fire. It is said to be the second death. And so that's the last thing you want to do is you want to die the second death. You definitely don't want to be there. So keep that in mind. There are two births and two deaths. Now, the Bible uses several terms to identify various purposes and descriptions of hell. And note this. Please note this. There's a big difference between hell and the lake of fire. Hell and the lake of fire. I used to tell people, don't worry about hell. You're not going to stay there forever. <laughs> well, there's a worse place. Because unbelievers are brought out of hell at the great white throne of judgment. And once they are found lacking, they are then cast into the lake of fire. So there's two totally different places. Both of them are separation eternally. Once a person dies without knowing Jesus Christ as his Savior, he goes to hell. His body goes to the grave. He goes to hell. And then, at the great white throne of judgment, he's brought out of hell, he's evaluated in Revelation chapter 20, and then he's cast into the lake of fire. So keep that in mind. When the unsaved die, they go immediately to a place called hell. And later, the Bible indicates that those in hell are given up and cast into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. 
So even though uh, they seem to be in a different place, the inhabitants are the same people. And the punishment is going to be the same, eternal separation from God. The place of judgment for the unsaved is called the great white throne. And the lake of fire follows the great white throne. So anyone who does not accept Christ as his savior will enter the first punishment. That is, they will go to hell. And then once they're in hell, they cannot escape the second death, which is the lake of fire. You know, some people think that hell is just a myth designed by religious people to scare folks into joining up, fessing up, giving up, you know. They even say sometimes that it's child abuse to tell a child that there's a hell. Well, hell is a reality. It is an unbelievable, unspeakable, tormenting place. And we should speak up and we should warn people about it. The common word for hell in the Old Testament was a Hebrew word called sheol, S-H-E-O-L, sheol. And that meant the grave. It's where people went when they died. In the Bible, the King James Version of the Bible, for example, sheol is translated hell 31 times. And it's translated the pit three different times. But in the Old Testament, when people died, both saved people and unsaved people, they were said to go to Sheol. Now, Sheol was the grave. And uh, the Hebrew word Sheol was then translated into the Greek New Testament as the word Hades, H-A-D-E-S. Or Hades, H-A-D-E-S, or Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, is the place where the Old Testament unsaved people went. Now, in Sheol, there were two compartments. There was the place of torments and the place of blessing. Two different places. If you take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke and read the parable of Lazarus, you will find Jesus talking about the rich man and Lazarus. He said Lazarus had gone to a place called paradise and Abraham's bosom and that the rich man had gone into the place of torments. So in their afterlife, they were treated totally different. Lazarus in the place of Abraham's bosom and the rich man in the place of torments. And the rich man in Hades at his death was tormented in flames. Luke 16, 24. That's the punishment of Hades. It's burning. It's separation and loneliness. And it's conviction by memory, for example. He remembered his family. And he was thirsty. The Bible says that in Luke 16. He wanted Lazarus to come across the gulf that separated the place of torments from Abraham's bosom and put a, a drop of water on his tongue. And then he wanted someone to go warn their, his family that they might not come to this place. You see, he did have memory. He did have thirst. He could look across the great gulf and see where the saved were located. 
But now, according to Dr. Elmer Towns, the scripture is silent whether a saved person could look back and see the torment of the unsaved. We don't really know that, but we do know this. We do know that the one thing the rich man could not do is he could not escape his torment. He could not even send a warning to his family. There was no way he could get a, a letter out, no way he could make a cell phone call, no way he could send a text. There's no way. He was in torment day and night in Sheol or in Hades. So when our Lord Jesus Christ came, when he died on the cross, the Bible identifies him as ascending into Hades. Not the place of torments, no, but into Abraham's bosom, into the place of blessing. And all of those saved people of the Old Testament that were there, he took them according to Ephesians and he led them to heaven. He took them to the presence of the Father in heaven. And then all of Sheol, all of that then became the place of torments. There was no longer a separation. There was no longer a place of blessing and a place of torments. It all became Sheol. Now there's another word used in the Bible, and that word is Gehenna. G-E-H-E-N-N-A. Gehenna. Used in Matthew 5.22. Matthew 5:29, Mark 9:43, and Luke 12:5. And this is where the soul and the body is cast into Gehenna. This word appears only 12 times in the New Testament, but it is always translated hell. The Lord Jesus Christ himself used this term 11 times. And the name is probably related to what's called the Valley of Hinnom. Hinnom, H-I-N-N-O-M. You see, during the reign of Ahaz, Israel participated in the worship of the false god Molech. And in his attempt to please Molech, Ahaz actually engaged in human sacrifice. This is a Jewish king, a child of God's people. And he sacrificed his own son to the fiery god of Molech. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles 28, verses 1 through 4. Archaeologists have now learned that Molech was represented by a golden calf, and it was in the region of Cana. But the idol of that golden calf had the head of a bull, and he had outstretched arms and a fire burned in his hollow stomach, and a child was sacrificed on the arms of the head of the bull. This practice was stopped during the reforms of Josiah in 2 Kings 23.10. And then the Valley of Hinnon became a dumping ground for the city of Jerusalem. It was a garbage dump. During the times of our Lord Jesus Christ, it was used to burn garbage. It's where all the garbage was taken and burnt, the refuse. Hence, the Lord Jesus Christ himself used this word Gehenna to describe the place of eternal punishment.
because it was a place of filth, a place of stench, a place of smoke and pain, and a place of fire and death. Gehenna. Gehenna is what we call hell. Whenever anyone dies without believing in Jesus Christ and receiving him as their Savior, this is their first stop. And it's not because God delights in doing that. See, here's the problem. God is absolutely, perfectly righteous. There can be no sin in God. And in order to make sure that there's no sin in God, the justice of God is the guardian of the righteousness of God. Now, if you and I want to approach God, we must have the absolute same righteousness that God has. But the Bible says we have a problem. In Isaiah, the Bible says there are none that are righteous. No, not one. All of our good works are like filthy rags in God's eyes. And so how can I, a filthy rag, be as righteous as God? I could never get to God because the justice of God would stop me. It guards the righteousness of God. But thank goodness the Bible says, He who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we may be made the righteousness of God through him. So when I come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and I believe that he is my Savior, he is the anointed Son of God, I acknowledge that and receive him as my Savior. The Bible says to as many as receive him, to them God gave the right to become his children, even to them that just believe in his name. Sometimes people will tell you you've got to repent. Well, there are four words for repent in the New Testament. Some of them are words like metanoeo, metanoia, metamelami, different words. When we repent, what we're doing is we're changing our mind, metanoia. We're changing the way we think. We have been unbelievers, now we repent and we become believers. It does not mean you repent of all of your sins. Come on, you still have a sin nature. You're still going to sin. And no, at once you become a Christian, you do want to stop sinning. Yes, that's obvious. You recognize that sin is an affront to God. But if you think that you're going to repent of all of your sins to get to heaven, that's not going to work. You can tell God you're sorry for all of your sins, but unless you receive Christ as your Savior, you can't go to heaven. You'll be at the second judgment. You'll be at the great white throne. But when you receive Christ, then obviously you want to turn away from your sin. But turning away from sin is not how you get saved. It's the result of being saved. That's when you want to turn away from your sin after you receive Christ as Savior. And after you learn some things from the Bible, like you have a sin nature, and this is what your sin nature does, and you have the Holy Spirit, and there's a war going on inside of you, and it's the flesh trying to control you, then the Holy Spirit seeking to control you. And there's a war. Galatians talks about the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit wars against the flesh. Yes, you want to repent of your sin. You want to turn away from sin after you receive Christ as Savior, but that is not how you get saved. How do you get saved? 
whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that not John 3.16? Believe in him, Paul said, and you will have eternal life. 1 John 5.1, he that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So I need to ask you a simple question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the anointed Son of God? Do you believe that? If you were to meet him, would you call him Lord? That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be saved. Oftentimes we express that by joining a church. We identify with Christ often by being baptized in a church. But how do I actually get saved? Well, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, the Bible says. And so in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you can bow your head, or if you're driving, don't do it, and you can say, Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is your Son, and I'm willing to accept him as my Lord and Savior. Bingo! You have eternal life. Now the Bible goes on to use a word called the lake of fire. Yes, it uses Sheol. Yes, it uses Gehenna. And it also uses the lake of fire. John refers to hell in the terms of the lake of fire in Revelation 20:15. And some people say, well, it's just a metaphor to describe the place of suffering. But no, it's a real place. It's a real thing. It is like a vast sea covered in flames. And that's only the beginning of the suffering that I saw there, is what John said. It's a place of eternal retribution. The lake of fire. Who goes to the lake of fire? In Revelation 20, there's two ways God determines. First of all, a book is opened. It's called the book of life. Is your name in the book of life? If you have died without accepting Christ as your Savior, your name has been blotted out of the book of life, the Bible tells us. So no, it's not there. The book of life, everyone who's born, their name is put in the book of life. Die without receiving Christ as Savior, your name is blotted out. Why? You've died the first death. Now, if your name is not in the book of life, Revelation 20 says, then various books are opened, and these are the books of your production, the books of your works. For example, you gave money to the church. You paid your taxes on time. You never cheated on your spouse. You never said a dirty word. You were a nice, moral, good person. But that is not being saved. The Bible says in that day, many will say to me, and Lord, Lord, did I not do many wonderful works in thy name? And he said, I will tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. You can be a nice, wonderful, moral person and die and spend eternity in the lake of fire because you cannot manufacture perfect righteousness. The Bible tells you there are none that are righteous, no, not one. I've already quoted that verse to you out of Isaiah. You cannot manufacture perfect righteousness. The only way you can be on equal standing with God is to receive the righteousness of Christ. Again, I'll quote the verse. He who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we may be made the righteousness of God through him by means of him, 
the very righteousness of Christ is given to you. Think about this. Was it not sort of a trade-out? What did he take on the cross? My sin. What did he give me when I come to the cross? His righteousness. And why am I now able to have a relationship with God? Well, I've been born again, and I have equal righteousness. My righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. It's been given to me, imputed to me. It's a real imputation. I'm given his righteousness, and I am on equal standing with God. Now, that's my position. In my experience, am I still a jerk? Yes. In my, posi- in my experience, do I still have a sin nature? Yes. In my experience, can I still sin? Yes. When I sin, am I going to lose my salvation? No. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish. Neither shall any man ever pluck them out of my Father's hand. Hell is described as a place of eternal retribution or punishment. Speaking of the unsaved, Jesus said this, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. The righteous, what does that mean? It means you have received his righteousness. You believed in him, and his righteousness was given to you. It's not something you produce. It's not something you earn. It's not something you purchase. You receive it by faith. I know that eternity is incomprehensible. We can't figure it out. I mean, there's no way we can comprehend how long eternity is. But hell, or the lake of fire, eventually, will be there as long as heaven's there. For the scripture calls both of these everlasting. Everlasting punishment and everlasting life. It's your choice. Everlasting punishment is used throughout the Bible to identify duration without end. Eternal retribution would be horrible if we only thought of it as lasting a million years, says our friend Dr. Elmer Towns. But because it's eternal, a million years of time could be removed from its duration without any way affecting the time of the duration. The worst part about the lake of fire is that the people that are in the lake of fire, they know it'll never end. Now, no one's there yet. They will go there after the great white throne of judgment, and that hasn't taken place yet. So, eternity is the beginningless and endless. It cannot be measured. It doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an ending. It's no way you can measure it. And you can bank on this. You do not want to have it happen to you. Matthew 25, 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The righteous, those who believed in Jesus Christ and received him as their Savior and were given his righteousness. Think about it. Pray over it. And if you've never trusted Christ, I pray you will do it today while there is time. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flotline.
Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.